Welcome back to the Talking Your Way to Change podcast, the show that educates you about optimal mental health. I'm the host, Dr. Zan Banker. Welcome back to the show, Talking Your Way to Change. This is Dr. Banker. Today, we're going to be discussing students' academic, social, and emotional needs from a school administrator's perspective. I'm so excited to talk with Jamie Nord, who is the Executive Director of the St. Croix River Education District, also known as SCREED. The educational model that she'll be discussing helps students survive and thrive pre-COVID-19 and in response to this pandemic. This district or collaborative provides services and support to districts in rural areas of Minnesota with the mission to maximize outcomes for all learners through data-based decision-making, meaningful collaboration, and implementation of innovative and evidence-based practices. Welcome to the show, Jamie. I was thinking it would be helpful if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and maybe how you got there. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Zan, for having me on the show today. I'm excited to be joining you. Uh, So the St. Croix River Education District, otherwise known as SCRED, um, is a collaborative that provides a lot of support and services to um, six member school districts. So our services include direct services with students, as well as professional learning opportunities and on-site support and consultation for our member district staff. So I started at SCRED back in 2007 as a school psychologist straight out of grad school. Um, My background is school psychology and school counseling, and I I served as a school psychologist working um, at the early childhood and high school levels um, for three years, and it really was a great fit for me. I loved what I was doing and really had no interest in doing anything else. I could get sworn at by my high school students and then leave and go visit the early childhood kiddos and be told I look like a princess and get hugs. So it really was the the perfect fit and I could experience both ends of the spectrum in in terms of working with students with disabilities. I just loved it. Um, So while I was doing that, I had a mentor. She was actually the assistant principal that I was working with really encouraged me to think about leadership in education. And, you know, being new to the field, only three years in, actually at that time, two years in, I was like, oh, I don't know about this. But I thought, you know, if she's seen this potential in me, why not um, go back to school and obtain my uh, K-12 principal and director of special ed licenses just in case I wanted to end up using them. And uh, the opportunity came a little sooner than I was anticipating, actually. And um, after my third year of being a school psychologist, uh, administrative position in the district I was working in opened up. And I applied and had the opportunity to uh, take on that role, uh, serving that school district and one other, still within the St. Croix River Education District. It was called a unique learner's manager position, which really was a supervisory role. And then um, after just one year of that role, the director of special ed position opened up within our collaborative and I moved into that, which really was um, 
a little bit overwhelming, to be completely honest with you. I went from serving two school districts to being the director of special ed for all six of our member school districts and really wanting to um, increase uh, what that collaborative relationship looked like with all six of our districts. So I really enjoyed that role, um, had no intention again to leave <laughs> that role, uh, but my boss at the time ended up uh, deciding to pursue a different uh, opportunity um, actually at the U of M and, and leave K-12 education. And at that time, I, I thought, okay, well, do I really want a new boss or do I want to take on the executive director role? So that's how I landed where I am today in the executive director role. I joke around all the time that SCRED is like my professional home. <laughs> I have no intention to leave SCRED. I can't imagine moving anywhere else. And um, I'm sure that through our conversation today, uh, I think you'll get a sense of why, but it's just really a good fit for me philosophically with how um, I would like to approach my work in education and our organizational mission just really aligns with that. So excited to share some more about that uh, as we work our way through our questions today. Yeah, I thought it was so um, exciting to learn about the model that you're going to talk about. Um, but I also, I really admire in terms of your background as an administrator, um, that background of psychology and counseling and special education, I feel like when people are in administration and they've also been in different, um, on the front lines and sort of in middle management, I think it just really helps shape the decision-making um, that we need um, in terms of providing direct services and that firsthand knowledge of what students are going through, families are going through, but also what teachers are going through. Mm -hmm. So I bet that just really serves you well in your role. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think my background really has influenced um, just how I approach things as an educational leader. Um, I, I feel like I use my counseling skills and my school psychology skills just about every day on the job. And a lot of that background really is what helped shape my philosophy um, and how I want to approach my work in education. So all the way back in grad school uh, in my school psychology program, I had learned about an educational model called response to intervention. Now that's more commonly referred to as a multi-tiered system of supports or MTSS. And really that uh, model stems from the public health models of disease prevention that uses tiered levels of intervention that increase with cost and intensity depending on a patient's response to treatment. So when you apply that type of a model to education, it really results in a tiered framework for both academics and social emotional learning. And that framework really helps us ensure that we're going to meet the needs of all of our learners. And that that's really at the heart of what I believe we need to be doing in education. I think that for a long time, um, we've put systems in place that really uh, don't meet the needs of all of our learners. We have a lot um, in place that is intended to to serve the the most most of our students through general education. But then we have um, a whole group kind of left in the middle. So you may hear like about students falling through the cracks um, and that 
their needs aren't really met in general education, but maybe they don't have a disability or maybe they do and they just don't qualify for special education services. So ultimately those students tend to really struggle and many fail and end up dropping out of school. So in this type of a model, um, the goal really is to have our core instruction or what all students receive meet 80% of our students' populations needs. Um, and then 10 to 15% of our student population would need a little bit more or this targeted supplemental support. And that could be in the form of a small group intervention or something of that nature. And then five to 10% would need more intensive services that are highly individualized for particular students. So again, kind of matching um, that level of support to the student need um, in a resource allocation type model um, makes a lot of sense and really helps frame up how to approach meeting the needs of all of our learners. So um, for me, it just is really important that we're thinking systemically about how we're approaching our work in education and that I never want to be in a position where we have that group of students in the middle that doesn't have that support. Um, I wanna make sure that we are really thoughtful and intentional in how we're designing supports for all of our students. Yeah, yeah. I, I was also thinking just in terms of the students that are, it sounds like there's three tiers. There's like the the, the bulk of the people, I guess that's the 80%. Mm -hmm. um, I would think even within that population that they would really benefit though from any of the materials or um, science or research or education that would benefit the middle and or the top. I just, I can't imagine any student kind of not needing extra support in some way, whether right. it be academic or social emotional. Yeah, and I think that's really where our focus needs to be um, uh, as well. Like a lot of times we're not doing everything to apply good evidence-based practices in that instruction that is for all students. And if we really did that, then we could meet more students' needs um, in that largest tier or the universal tier, um, because we quite frankly don't have the resources to, to meet more students' needs in the other two tiers, that supplemental support and that intensive support. So we gotta do better in meeting the, as many students' needs as we can in that core or universal tier. Yes. Well, what do you notice when you go out to schools and you talk with the administration and teachers there? Yeah, I think that um, it's a mind shift that needs to happen. Um, it takes a lot of upfront planning to put this type of framework in place. And I think that what I would like to see is more support coming um, from the state level in terms of how to help districts implement this type of framework. Um, we have across the country some states that have really latched onto this that have more of a statewide system of support in place to help districts implement a multi-tiered system of support. And in the state of Minnesota, we've had some support with, with pieces of it, but not really um, a comprehensive technical assistance center, if you will, um, to help districts with this. So I think you know the districts are doing the best they can, um, but without some really targeted support um, in terms of professional learning and 
and coaching in this area. I think with the resources districts currently have, it's hard to conceptualize and put into practice this model that I'm talking about. Yeah. So could you kind of walk us through a day? Are are you sort of out at the schools kind of talking them talking to them about the model? Is the model already accepted or yeah, just kind of what your days look like? So um, I would say that every day is a different day. I know that in a lot of jobs, um, things look similar, the types of tasks that you do on the day to day. Um, In my position, I I never will be bored is is what I say. Um, Every day, uh, there's different things flying at me. I I would say it's a hard question to answer, but a lot of times my days consist of a series of meetings. So we really try to hear from our member district stakeholder groups. So I might have meetings with the six superintendents of my districts, the principals come together, curriculum directors, business managers. We pull in different groups of teachers. So our special educators or our intervention teachers And really, um, the purpose of that is to connect on critical topics. We want to make sure our messaging is aligned, that we're on the same page. We're also seeking input and feedback on the services that our collaborative is providing to our district. So tell us what you need. What are you seeing out in the field? How can we better support you? Um, Other meetings then are more internal meetings. So I'm working with my staff on okay, based off that feedback we just got, how can we improve our services to our six member districts um, to be more aligned with what we heard they they told us that they needed? So it's a lot of um, taking in that feedback from our stakeholders and really trying to adjust and adapt our supports and services to be aligned to that. Um, In addition to that, uh, you throw in some time managing our education district's budget. So uh, in my role, I'm in charge of uh, the budget side of things. Um, I also wear the hat of human resources uh, director in collaboration with our business manager. I do some policy writing. I might be meeting with a state legislator because we're also trying to advocate um, legislatively for changes. So it's a, it's a lot of different pieces that make up my role, um, but it's a challenge, yet it's a rewarding challenge. Um, you had mentioned earlier just my background and, and having been in the trenches, and that's been something that's really stayed um, important to me in my work. So I will seek out opportunities to really try to get out in the buildings. Obviously, with COVID here, I haven't had the chance to do that as much. Our districts are really being asked to limit the number of adults coming in and out of them unless it's absolutely necessary. So this has just been an important piece to me. I don't want to lose visibility or lose touch with what students and staff are facing on a daily basis. And some of my most favorite days are the days that I do get to go out and visit a building and just feel that excitement and energy. Um, It just really feeds me to see our amazing educators in action and interact with some of our students. Yes. So COVID has been a huge piece of my job most recently. Uh, I've been consumed by all things COVID. So 
we actually have been um, saying anytime a topic that's not COVID related comes up, we get more excited than we would normally get just because it's so, it feels so great to talk about things that aren't related to the pandemic. But, yes. you know, I mentioned the need to really align our services and support to our districts to their needs. And um, we've really shifted our services and supports to be about COVID right now because that's where they're at. So our districts got asked to plan for three learning models, hybrid distance learning or in person. So we're helping them do that right now and and trying to be um, as supportive as possible as they're as they're trying to shift between those three learning models. Does each district sort of have its own unique kind of culture or ways of handling special education or interventions? Yeah, so as a collaborative, there's a commitment that we would all be striving to implement a multi-tiered system of support. And that relates to our students with disabilities as well, because our students with disabilities are general education students first. So they fit within the MTSS framework too. Um, so we have a commitment, but what, what I would say is that your comment about cultures being different in different districts is still absolutely true. So when we talk yes. about the MTSS framework, part of what I really love about it is that it's, it's a framework. So like it can be, it can fit within your systems, it can fit within your culture, and it does look different from, from district to district, and, and that's okay. Um, so that, that also makes it a good fit for us as we know that our six districts are going to continue to have different cultures and different needs and, and we can still use that framework across all of them. So that's one of the most challenging pieces of, of being a part of a collaborative, I think, is to learn what those different cultures are and how you fit within there. Yeah. Well, one advantage I would think is that maybe not having to reinvent the wheel. Like if some school districts are really um, doing well in one area, maybe the other districts can kind of borrow some of those ideas, um, particularly during COVID. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, there's been a lot of really great um, resource sharing. Um, and we've really seen a culture shift in within the collaborative to do that even pre-COVID. And and it's just been, I think, heightened um, during this time and the need for sharing ideas and resources. So it might mean um, sending someone a draft of some sort of document you put together so you don't have to start from scratch. Um, we had districts that were administrators going from um, one district to another to do a site visit and to meet with a principal just to ask questions about how they were doing something. So that yes. collaboration um, just can do wonders in terms of improving uh, services and the education for our students. Right. What kind of weaknesses do you think have come up um, that maybe were there in education, but now that the pandemic has hit, um, what are the issues that have been really highlighted? It's mm -hmm. a really great question. Um, you know, I've, I've been trying throughout the pandemic, uh, like many, to, to look for those hidden opportunities for growth and innovation. Um, we do have some people who seem to be very much stuck thinking, oh, this pandemic is going to be over soon and I'm just going to kind of wait for education to be reinstated how it looked pre-COVID. 
And honestly, I just don't think that that's really going to happen. Um, so I'm more of the mindset, like, let's look for those ways that we're going to grow and that we're going to become better post pandemic. So two of the specific weaknesses that um, come to mind would be the use of technology. I think that the pandemic has really pushed us to have to look um, to be being more comfortable with technology and using it in ways that we've never had to use before. And then also just um, shifting our thoughts about how we typically approach partnering with parents and what can that partnership really look like as we strive to educate our kids. So with regard to technology, I think that we're learning a lot about it in a hurry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's pushing all of us uh, to look for different tools for all different types of learners. Um, For example, in the virtual setting, we're using programs and different strategies for engagement that really are allowing educators to hear from students that in a traditional classroom, they might not really hear from. So we're seeing in, in some of the online platforms, virtual platforms being used, that there are opportunities through chat or breakout room structures where students' voices are really coming alive and that some of the more quiet students in the class are more apt to actually be engaged and participate in that setting than they might be um, in that traditional classroom. We're also learning a a lot about efficiencies in holding virtual meetings. I mentioned how much um, I'm in meetings in my role, but that's true of a lot of my staff as well. So we hire itinerant special ed teaching staff that have to participate in a lot of special education meetings. And they might serve all six of our member districts. And, you know, that is really... Um, challenging to coordinate schedules in a way that they're not driving here, there, and everywhere, and there's just a lot of time spent in the car. So a lot of those meetings have shifted to virtual meetings, and that's actually had kind of that unintended positive consequence of more time for our staff to be investing in um, connecting with staff on strategies to use with students and actually working with students directly. So Um, That's been a positive that we've seen come out. And I'm kind of guessing that some of our meetings might stay virtual um, post-pandemic here uh, just because we've seen some benefit there. So that's those are some of my thoughts about technology. Yeah. Yeah, I had been thinking about technology um, in terms of education as well in doing clinical work like that I do. And one of them... I sort of was like, okay, so we have an issue with access. Like, do people, you know, even the people that I'm serving clients, like, do they have internet? Do they have computers? Do they have laptops? Um, Is it reliable? Um, One of the things that I have found, though, really kind of, um, I don't know, empowering, and I deal with a lot of seniors, uh, people in late 60s and 70s, and, you know, we'll be trying to get on some platform on call health and, you know, maybe that'll fail. The internet will go off and then, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well, do you have FaceTime? Well, do you have an iPhone? Well, I'm not sure if I have an iPhone. It's a, it's an Android. Okay. Yep. I don't, can't do that. All right. Well, let's try a Google dual. I mean, sometimes I will try like three or four different ways mm-hmm. to stay connected with a client during that hour. 
And um, in some ways, it kind of brings you closer together. And you do sort of feel like a sense of empowerment, like, yes, we're here and we're dedicated and we're going to try to figure this Mm -hmm. out. And there are solutions. Um, But at the same time, too, I'm also just really aware that um, people come from different backgrounds Mm -hmm. and um, just the differences between the disadvantaged and the privileged. The other thing I was sort of trying to look at a little bit, um, and I'm sure you guys will be really looking at, is just how, you know, some of the research um, that I've seen says that there's advantages to learning online, that um, retention can go up with a shorter amount of time. Um, And then one maybe disadvantage that I read about was something that it's harder for kids to transfer the knowledge that they learn from online to real life. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I would imagine at some point, because it does sort of feel like we're going to have to keep some of this technology, you know, what are the benefits of it? Yeah, Um, those are, those are great questions and things to ponder. We've been thinking a lot about those too. Um, Because I, I serve school districts that are in rural areas. um, We do have quite a few issues for our families with broadband internet access. So when I mentioned, needing to continue to advocate legislatively. That's been one of the really big pushes for us um, pre-pandemic, but now also during the pandemic, because it is really challenging to think about providing quality education to our students when they can't um, have reliable means to access instruction remotely um, from a licensed teacher. So for some of our students, they, they literally don't have access Um, to the internet. Um, So teachers have been trying to use the phone with those students to connect, but that isn't really a forum in which um, you can provide high quality reading instruction, for example. Um, So a lot of the the distance learning that was happening in the spring and for some students that will continue into the fall is more in the form of packets that get sent home. And And I have a lot of feelings about that because I just don't think that that's instruction. I don't think that we can expect our parents to be providing the instruction that goes with those packets. And and I know that our educators are doing the best they can um, in those situations where we have to work through those technology barriers and they'll continue to do that. Um, But everything that we can do um, to continue to advocate for for some increased um, reliability and access um, for our students is going to be huge there um, if, if this is how we're going to be operating for a while. Yes. And then the, the other thing that you mentioned, just like with um, technology and how that affects the outcomes for our students in terms of their learning, that's one of the things that um, as a collaborative, we'll be trying to help our districts track. So as they fluidly shift um, between different learning models, we want to look at what is our student data looking like as a result of those shifts in the learning models. Are we seeing, you know, better outcomes when they are able to be in person versus um, learning through a distance learning model and just trying to keep track of some of that data and the impact um, that shifting learning models can have? Yes. Well, going back to the partnering with parents um, or partnering, you know, schools partnering with parents, do you have any suggestions for our listeners for, you know, ideas of what we can do to be more effective? Yeah, I think um, 
I have both the parent and the educator perspective. So I have two of my own um, students that have in the spring, they were in distance learning um, and we were working through that as parents, my husband and I. And then obviously I have the educator perspective as well. And I, I really think pre-pandemic in our society, it felt like a lot of the responsibility to educate a child fell solely on the school. And I'm hopeful that through the pandemic, um, our society's viewpoint on that has started to shift. And really, I think I'm hearing um, that, you know, generally speaking in the in our public, uh, the perception is that uh, there's more appreciation for our educators and a willingness on the part of our parents to re-engage in their child's education in a way that they hadn't been um, pre-pandemic. So, I am continually impressed as I learn about the creative ways that our educators are trying to partner with our parents during the pandemic. And I just think the pandemic has kind of um, put a light on uh, the importance of that partnership and that it's really imperative to a student's educational success, uh, in particular, if we're operating in hybrid or distance learning, that that partnership is in place. And, you know, I mentioned I had worked in early childhood as a school psychologist and one of the programs I had a chance to really learn about during that time was the early childhood family education program and and I could see how much growth our parents would have as a result of participating in that and it's almost caused me to think maybe we need to be doing more of that type of model where our educators are working with our parents on specific skills and teaching them about development and how can they be helping support their child's education. Um, so maybe uh, the partnership becomes more parent education and engagement in what's happening with education, like we see in early childhood family ed. So that's just one of my thoughts on parent partnership. Um, otherwise, in terms of you asked just like ideas and strategies, I think some of the most effective partnerships that I've seen is just where the roles are clearly defined. So what is the teacher role versus the parent role? Um, for both teachers and parents, I think that that's super helpful to have that understanding um, going into the partnership. So for example, in a hybrid learning mo model, maybe the teacher's role is to prioritize delivering that high quality math and reading instruction during the two days that the child is in person at school. And then the parent's role might be to more, more ensure that there's an effective learning environment set up at home, that they're reinforcing positive learning habits, and like the teacher can help the parent learn what that looks like and assist their child in accessing the different resources. So like what you described with your senior clients, uh, Zan, in terms of needing to work through those technology <laughs> barriers, just staying calm, knowing that there's um, a different way of maybe approaching the problem at hand, um, I think can be a role that parents play as well. So. I, I think having those clear roles and just open lines of communication and that partnership is going to be huge. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts. I mean, one is early childhood family education is just 
I, I, one of the most dynamite things that we have, and I think Min- that is unique to Minnesota too. I mean, I participated in that with my daughter when she was six months old until I put her at, you know, five and a half in kindergarten. And when I think about like, I have a doctorate in counseling psychology and human development, but I really feel like that program helped me understand development as a parent in a whole new way mm-hmm. and provided, um, her with experiences of being with others while being educated and just that network of parents. And I think most people that participate in those programs are still friends with the families that they met, you know, when their kids are seniors. Um, so yeah, I think that it's really interesting idea of thinking about, you know, using some of that, that kind of programming or modeling and bringing that into middle school, great, you know, elementary school and even high school, Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, when we think about our approach to this pandemic, um, one of the other things that comes to mind is just really that mindset about ourselves and others. And I have a dear friend and colleague, uh, her name is Nicole Woodward. She's actually the director of special education that serves um, with me um, at SCRED. And she coined a theme for our school year in three simple words, grace, grit, and growth. And every year we kick the school year off by bringing our special educators together. um, And we needed to do that this year in a virtual room, (laughs) not, um, we weren't able to be physically together. So it had a little different feel to it. But um, I had asked her permission to share this um, today on the podcast, just because I think her words were really powerful, and I, I think they apply to whether or not you're an educator, a parent, or maybe you're both like me, and there's just a lot of inspiration I think we can find in her words. So just going to read a, a quick um, excerpt from her message here, um, and hopefully this will resonate with you. So here we are in the fall of 2020, a new set of challenges, but with a load of experience and learning under our belt. We know what worked for us last year, but there's an incredible amount of learning, planning, adjusting, and pivoting that needs to take place. And if we're going to get through it, we need some additional tools. So we are asking everyone to extend grace. No one is an expert in this. We are all learning and there is no way to get it all right all of the time. We will make mistakes and we're going to need loads of grace. Grace for yourself, grace for your colleagues, and grace for leadership. We also know that there's going to be a lot of work, and all signs point to us needing to navigate the pandemic for the long haul. So we're going to need grit. We're going to have to roll up our sleeves and jump in with tenacious persistence. And we're going to need a growth mindset. We know now more than a, more than we did last year that we're going to know know more tomorrow than we did today. We are asking everyone to keep an open mind to new ways of doing things and changing the course when what we planned isn't working like we had hoped. If we can find some space for these virtues, we will find our way through this and become and come out better educators on the other side and our students will be the ones who benefit. So oh, I just think like those three words, great, that. great yes. grit, grit and growth, um, people have really latched on to that. We're hearing that from 
our staff in our member districts. And I just think, you know, it applies to educators, but it also applies to us as parents. Um, I've had to give myself a lot of grace. I've set too high of expectations in terms of what my parent role looks like as my kids have been home, either in distance learning or hybrid. And I've needed to show myself that I do have the grit. I have the persistence. I can keep going. And I think by modeling that as a parent to, to my two kids is it's a really great opportunity to show them that because that's an important quality to have um, for the rest of their life. And then I think just knowing that this is an opportunity for growth. And like I said earlier, just looking for those opportunities um, for myself to grow, for my kids to grow. And if we can view this with that positive lens, I think it's going to help all of us get through this challenging time together. I completely agree. I love that grace, grit and growth. Yeah, I'm always listening to podcasts. And there's, um, I listened to Brene Brown. And she interviewed this man, Scott Sunshine, that wrote a book called Stretch, Unlocking the Power of Less, and um, Achieving More Than Ever. And I really I, th- I really love this concept. Um, basically, what he says is he illustrates there are kind of two different people that look at the resources that we have now in your life or like in your career. And there's sort of chasers and stretchers. And chasing is sort of when we think the key to success and satisfaction is to like get more money, get more time, possessions, mm-hmm. we start accumulating things. And I think that would apply to like, yeah, chasing would be like, we're not really going to kind of accept today and make the most of it until we can get back to after COVID, Mm -hmm. right? And stretching, what he says, is when we sort of embrace the resources that we already have. And that when we do this, we actually free ourselves and we find more creative and kind of productive ways to solve problems and be innovative. And actually, people tend to like engage and enjoy their work and their life more <clears throat> fully, actually, when they have less and they're stretching than when they have more and they're chasing. Love it. And don't you? Yeah. Wow. I love, and I have been thinking about this in terms of COVID, um, is really forcing us to become stretchers. Mm-hmm. And like for myself, I wouldn't have started this podcast at this time had I been still going into the office and working and socializing at the level that I was and or managing my daughter's social calendar. And what I think um, in terms of kids and thinking about education and thinking about their development, maybe what we're learning now is on the one hand, how important those relationships and social and peer contact is, but also Mm -hmm. conversely, maybe the benefits that maybe our children don't have to be participating in organized Mm -hmm. activities or the intensity of what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I feel like I really appreciate your wanting to look at this through a positive lens. Mm -hmm. Um, And that brings me to, I always think it's really helpful to people have to have some sort of action step or some sort of resource that they could kind of take away from listening. And I think maybe part of that could be your website. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. So um, we have our, our typical website as an organization, but we've actually built a, a, branch off of that website specific to social emotional learning. 
And I'm guessing, um, Zan, you can put the the link to that in your show notes. Yes, I will. Um, so people can access that. Um, but before I kind of introduce your listeners to that, I just want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. And there's oh. been just an amazing team of professionals. Um, and I feel so blessed to have the opportunity to work with this team on this project of creating the website really since this spring. And the original um, idea came out of COVID um, that we just were really seeing a need to get some social emotional learning resources into the hands of um, our students, our educators, and our parents. Uh, there's a lot of coming out um, indicating that the mental health needs of students are going to be you know, more significant than ever, that we're going to have kind of the tsunami of mental health needs as as we um, start having students come back in person, which some of us are, are fortunate enough to, to be seeing students in person this fall and are, and are noticing that. So that was the initial intent of the website. But the more we, we started thinking about it, the more we were recognizing that this could be a platform that we use long term um, as our districts are trying to enhance what they have in place for their social emotional learning opportunities for their students again, within that multi-tiered system of supports framework that we talked about earlier. So what can we be doing to help all students really have some solid social emotional learning skills um, that are going to benefit them throughout life? What do we do when students are struggling in that area and would benefit from a little bit of additional supplemental support? And then how do we support our students who have those most intense needs in this area? So um, the website is set up um, to kind of follow that multi-tiered system of supports framework. Um, but I think of most interest to your listeners, um, as many of them might be parents or no parents who are struggling, there's a parents tab that's located along the top. And under that tab, parents can find general support. Um, that includes parent resources and tools um, to support their own well-being because we know this is a challenging time to be a parent. Um, there's uh, also a section called Challenging Talks, and that includes videos and tip sheets that provide advice on having difficult conversations with your children. And then there's a section called Tips by Grade Level, and that includes information and advice about social emotional development at each grade level. And, you know, even with my background in school psychology and school counseling, you forget what is developmentally appropriate in terms of social emotional skills. So it's just a really helpful resource for parents to understand what can they anticipate developmentally from their child at each of the different grade levels and how can they support that development. There's also a student tab located along the top. So depending on you know, the age of your son or daughter, there's some different links to, to resources there. There's some links to apps that they can use to help stay calm or organized. There's also information about crisis hotlines or chat services that are available um, that would be beneficial for some of our older students. But I really wanted to just take a moment to highlight what I think is one of the most valuable resources on the site really for anyone to use. And that's what we call the Calming Strategies Toolbox. And within that toolbox, you will find powerful tools for building resiliency and supporting well-being. So you're going to find tools to calm your body and your thoughts. 
um, tools to express yourself. How do you change your space? How do you take care of yourself? Just a really great repository of those tools that like you can click on and they're really easy to follow um, for, for anyone, not just educators, parents, and students as well. So I think the best way to benefit from this website as a resource, honestly, is just to explore. So just jump on, start clicking around and, and see what resources really are best aligned to what you're seeing from your child or what you need as a parent at this time or passing it along to someone that you know might be struggling as a parent. Yes, I agree. Um, I have done that. And I've also, uh, earlier I had access to the Calming Strategies Toolbox app. And I guess what I found fascinating about that is that the strategies that are used for kids are the same mm -hmm. strategies that we use with adults in terms of teaching adults how to regulate their emotions. Mm -hmm. um, the ones that are on your website are um, developmentally appropriate, which is helpful, right? They're geared more to, yeah. kids, to children. Um, so what I did is I went to the website and I clicked on the links and I went down to the learning modules on areas of interest to our family, particularly during distance learning. And so here, here's a few that I pulled out. One was dealing with mistakes and disappointment and accepting feedback. Those two come up all the time in our house when me as a parent, I have to go over um, homework and sort of see if they had understood the instructions, you know, correctly and giving that feedback. Um, another module that I looked at was dealing with boredom. That was great. I loved that. Um, for dealing with feelings, feeling left out and five gratitude. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting in looking at the modules, like I felt like there were pros and cons to going through them at home or at school. Uh, con is your kids don't usually like you in this role <laughs> of sort of being an educator or kind of social emotional coach. Um, at the same time, I'm pretty sure the emotions that my daughter was able to express with me, she never would have done at school. So I feel like that's a really important part, too, that she was able to really show me her anger, show me her frustration, show me her sadness. And um, even though it wasn't easy, I think it worked because uh, about a week later, she said, Mom, how do you think I'm doing now with accepting feedback? Do you think I'm getting better? And I was like, yes, yes, oh. you are. So that gave me a lot of hope. And yeah, just clicking through your website, the other thing that I found that I just was like so touched by was a story. I think it was in a newspaper, but it essentially was a second grade child who had created this buddy bench at his school's playground as a cure for playground loneliness, you know, um, which happens every day on, on the playgrounds mm -hmm. that kids get chosen to play with or they don't. And they end up just feeling really isolated and alone. And this little boy created this buddy bench and anybody could go sit on it. And um, bottom line, I, I just think the website was so good at coming up with strategies or ideas that parents could like think about. And if they wanted to implement, they could, or they have a way of, you know, bringing these topics back to the school and saying, hey, this is what I'm concerned about. 
and really feeling validated as a parent. Like, yes, these issues are not only important and common, they're important enough that there's curriculums that have been developed about them. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like that just gives parents more um, confidence to deal with these issues. So that's what I have in terms of kind of feedback and questions for you, Jamie. Is there anything that I left out that you kind of wanted to say? I really think, yeah. um, You know, I, I really just want to kind of hit home the fact, and I know that this is a a common coined phrase right now in the pandemic, but that we really are all in this together. And I mean that sincerely because this goes back to that partnership I talked about earlier and the importance of that in education right now. And I I just think that we do need to um, be viewing it through that lens that we are able to, as parents, appreciate and value the hard work that our educators are doing because they are working so hard to, to make this work for your children. And, you know, you might not be entirely satisfied with what that looks like in a hybrid or a distance learning model, but just know that they're working around the clock, many of them, to continue to enhance that experience for your child. And on the parent end, I think just remembering those three words, Uh, great grace, grit, and growth, and just really trying to own those words um, as a parent and to think about how can I extend grace to myself that I'm going to maybe not get as frustrated with my child when they're not wanting to engage with their learning at home. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to practice some of those calming strategies. I'm going to extend grace to the teacher to know that that they too are trying to do their best. Um, that we are all going to need grit and that when you maybe are having a little more luck in the grit department, someone else might not be and that we can support each other (laughs) and, and feed off of each other's grit as well. And that we are all, um, hopefully going to grow, um, you know, professionally, personally, I just think there are endless growth opportunities that are going to come um, to light through this pandemic. And if we can keep a positive attitude about that, I think we'll be so much better off. So thank you so much, Than, for being willing to not only have me as a guest on the show today, but also to really um, dig in. Zan did a lot of research into, into what it means to be an educational administrator. How does education impact um, our world? And really just try to seek to understand that better. And I think that that, you know, is going to make you a better therapist, a better parent. Um, so just thank you for the time that you put in. Oh, thank you. I think I'm going to add another G and that's gratitude. Gratitude that we have leaders like you, Jamie. Okay. Until next time, uh, this is Dr. Banker, and I will leave in the show notes links to the website, um, a citation for that book I mentioned about stretching, and um, maybe with a little permission, we'll be able to highlight um, some of the the speech or the talk that you talked from Nicole Woodward. Maybe we could give we'll give her that that credit too because that's just wonderful. Grace, grit, and growth. Okay. Thank you. Until next time. Thanks. 
Thanks for joining us this week on Talking Your Way to Change. You can also visit our Facebook page. You can subscribe to the show on Anchor or iTunes so that you never miss an episode. If you found value in this show, we would appreciate a ratings on iTunes, or you could just simply tell a friend. I need to alert everyone that this podcast is not meant as a substitution for mental health treatment. So although the podcast deals with psychotherapy, this is not your psychotherapy. Okay, thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Dr. Banker.